Hey there, you're listening to Don't Be an Asshole, a spiritual guide. It's a podcast where we talk about life, music, and spirituality. As we get into this, I just want you to know that it's not about getting you to believe what I believe. It's about asking you to ask yourself why you believe what you believe. Well, hello again. Welcome to another episode of Don't Be an A-Hole, a spiritual guide. Before we get into this week's episode, I want to remind you that you can support this podcast by going to patron.podbean.com forward slash Eric Tomier. As always, a link will be in the show notes in the description below. Okay, guys, I am super psyched for this week's episode. We've had two weeks of conversation with Ryan Beatty. And this is the week where we start getting into some of the actual things that transpired that caused him to go through some life-changing situations, some, some things that completely rocked the foundations of his upbringing, who he was, uh, the crisis of identity, talking about being untethered. And I'm just really excited for you guys to hear what he went through because how he handled it is inspiring so let's get into this thing all right so in doing that that is ultimately what started me on the path of disconnect with the ag okay because Krista and i started dating in the fall of 2013 and in April, I, I had been at the school at that point. That was my second year okay. working as the chaplain of the school. In April of that year, I was invited to speak to Houston City Council. Um, and when I say that, I was not like some keynote speaker. Right. There was like 600 people that spoke. And we're each given 90 seconds to come and speak to Houston City Council on an equal rights ordinance. Okay. So I'm sure you've heard of these ordinances. They've happened all around the country the last several years. A lot of uh, more conservative people refer to them as bathroom bills. There was a big one in North Carolina a couple of years ago. So Houston had one and they, they had one on the table. And so they were inviting discourse. And so I read about it and I went and I listened to the testimonials of other people. I listened to, and there is a federal law that uh, the Anti-Discrimination Act federally, Mm -hmm. uh, but the city of Houston didn't have one. And some people would say, why would the city of Houston have one? Apparently it's needed um, because if something happens locally, like with a small business or organization, in order to get any type of recompense or recourse at that point, you'd have to file a, a federal complaint and it'd have to work through the federal system. And so the city of Houston was saying, hey, let's do this locally so that we can handle these issues locally. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the testimonials we heard about um, people just that year, African-Americans, Hispanics, others who had been denied service at a restaurant because they were black. In 2014, in 2013, right. seriously, That's stinking ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. And so, so as I listened and I read, and they had 
and it wasn't a perfect bill. Though I mean, they, no law is right. Right, right. Uh, and I, I, you know, but they had protections for nonprofits, for churches, uh, and uh, and all this other kind of stuff. And so I thought, you know, as I, I'm listening to this, it's the federal law plus they've added on um, gender orientation, so mm-hmm. GLBT community. They've added on uh, a couple of other. Uh, groups as well. And so I'm like, why in the world wouldn't we want protection for anybody right. under the law? You know, I'm a Christian. I choose to be a Christian. Um, I'm not a Calvinist. So I do not believe God chose me fully. I, I chose Christ, right? I choose to be a Christian. And that's a choice that I make. And I wouldn't want somebody to tell me, you can't eat here. You can't rent a hotel room. You can't work out at this YMCA because you're a Christian. And so to me, it all came down to the golden rule. It was a golden rule thing. It was mm-hmm. how Christ lived, how Christ lived out his life, how he now asks us to live out our lives. Well, do, do, to, uh, do to others what you would want them to do to you. And I wouldn't want somebody to tell me if they saw me wearing a necklace with a cross on it or something like that. I wouldn't want somebody to tell me, hey, we don't serve your kind here. Yeah. Uh, and so if I don't want somebody to tell me that I don't, I don't think it's right that I should be able to tell someone else that. So I stood up and I spoke for 90 seconds and that's basically what I said. And then I sat down and like I said, I was one of 600 people. I identified myself as a Pentecostal pastor in town, but I never said I was with the assemblies of God. Mm -hmm. What I didn't know was that, uh, city council was video recording every speech and putting them all on YouTube. Okay. So when I got home that day, I sent a Facebook message out to the people in my church just to say, hey, I did this. Um, I didn't do this because I am trying to influence an election or anything like that for all of you. You vote for however you want to vote. I was asked to do this. And ultimately where I felt fell was the golden rule. It was a mandate for me to say, don't treat others the way you don't want to be treated. Um, and I got no pushback from my church. Right. But I did get pushback from other people mm-hmm. and uh, people found out about it and went out and found the video on YouTube. Uh, and they posted the link in a um, private Facebook group of conservative, more fundamentalist ministers. Yeah. Uh, and, and my video went viral uh, in that world. Yeah. Literally today, you can still go look up my video. And the last I saw my video, me, little insignificant me, mm-hmm. my 90 seconds uh, was the most watched of all of the speeches, of all 600 speeches, and, and most watched by hundreds of views. Right. And so I started getting text messages from people that I thought were my friends. I started getting emails. I started getting phone calls. I started getting Facebook messages and tweets and everything else telling me that I had blasphemed the Holy Spirit, that I had, that I had done irreparable harm to the kingdom of God. That if I, if I was literally, those are the words. If I was a man, I would turn in my credentials. I would turn in my ordination immediately. Uh, and five days later, I found myself at my district office Good, meeting, right. with, meeting with the Assemblies of God leadership. Ultimately, I mean, I had 
people uh, literally wrote resolutions about me, asking that my ordination be revoked. Oh, and God. ultimately, uh, six six weeks before I get married, I find out that um, that I'm being placed in the Assemblies of God's disciplinary protocol. Uh, I was to spend a year going through what they call restoration. I was given the exact same binder of materials as if I had cheated on my wife or embezzled money from my church. They did not. Um, they did not make me take time out of my pulpit. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I was already taking time away, getting ready to be married. Right. So they said, as long as I don't get back in the pulpit before this three month period that I was already on a little sabbatical that they wouldn't ask that of me, but I still had to meet monthly and, um, I had to turn in all kinds of reports and I had to meet with a supervising pastor. I had to resign from two different high level committees that I was on all that kind of stuff. It was either all of that or resign my credentials. Uh, that was the hardest, like that started or the hardest period of time in my life because I mean, all of that happened in the months and weeks leading up to getting married. My wife who was living in Southwest Washington at the time m- was moving down. So at the time she's moving here, I'm going through all of this, which of course she's now experiencing because she's also ordained with the same denomination. And now she's transferring into this district and she's having to get to, you know, she's having to work through just the tension of learning to live with me. (laughs) And then on top of that, the tension of what I'm going through with the AG, what she's now going to have to endure with the AG, how it's affecting our church, how it's affecting my relationships with others, how it's affecting my view of myself. I mean, all of this, all of this, all of this uh, is happening. So we get married while I'm on probation with the Assemblies of God. And our first year of marriage, I'm on probation. And during that time, my grandfather dies. And during that, who was my first best friend. Mm-hmm. And, and during that time, I experienced just, I experienced a deep depression uh, thankfully, I was already seeing a counselor and a therapist because church planting will drive you to therapy. <laughs> it, it, it will it will put you in the car and take you there. Yeah. Thank God I was already seeing a therapist who helped me and, and we got through it. But what bro- what what was so painful during that season ultimately became the greatest benefit of my life, which was during that year, the Holy Spirit broke the identity pieces that I had mm-hmm. around being assemblies of God. The the being four generations AG, the having gone to AG undergrad and grad school and worked at AG headquarters and planted AG churches. All I could see in my life, my whole identity was wrapped up in being an AG minister and my whole future was built on being an AG minister where right. I saw myself going in life had everything to do with being an AG minister. And during that year of just pain, just real brokenness, I came out the other side saying 
the AG does not define me. Jesus defines me. Now, there were days where I wanted to quit the AG. You know, there was a lot of temptation to do that. And a lot of, a lot of my true friends, the ones that I had on the other side, because I lost a ton. Mm-hmm, I bet. On the side, a lot of them encouraged me to leave. They were like, just go. Don't put up with this. Mm-hmm. But I felt like, um, I felt like the Holy Spirit was asking me to stay. He was asking me to submit and to endure. Okay. And so I did. And so I stayed. And uh, when I was done, my superintendent said to me, they had never had anybody go through this process better. To which I was like, awesome. Cool, man. <laughs> um, no, I didn't want to go through the process, but I'm glad I went through it well, you know. Yeah. But that started it for me. It took four years for it to completely break. I mean, for not for for me to for the separation to completely take. Because mm-hmm. I went through that year and we transitioned Carissa to being the pastor, and I kept working for the school. Uh, and I went back to school and did a program in nonprofit leadership, and then I started a parachurch ministry. Um, and eventually, after four years of working at the Episcopal school, I left there. So, so that I could focus on my parachurch ministry, which is called Sanctuary. Okay. And uh, Sanctuary, um, it's a ministry, a pastoral care and mentoring ministry mm-hmm. uh, for pastors and their spouses in the Houston area. So we meet once a month and just to be encouraged and support each other, to care for each other. Uh, we always provide food and we always provide some sort of resource. And we're about two years old at this point. And nice. Yeah, and we've got about we got about fifteen ministry families that we minister to on a regular basis, m- many of whom did not know each other before two years ago, and now some of them are going on vacations together, serving on each other's boards, uh, going on missions trips together. I mean, we we've accomplished what we we're setting out to do. Now we're just hoping to serve more people. Man, that's that's great. Yeah, I'm really proud of what God did. And I'm proud of what we've done with Sanctuary. I mean, it takes uh, sometimes when you get shaken like that, in order to hang on, it takes hanging on to something else that's yeah. got some roots down there. I've got to take a couple of minute break. Got to get my kids started on some dinner. Sure. And I'm just going to be right back. All right. Sure. No worries. All right. Gave me a good chance to fill up my water bottle perfect yeah i had to uh, thought out some uh ground beef and now my 12 year old's cooking dinner but i had to get him started on like the cooking yeah on the instructions yeah so just browning the meat and then adding the spices and tomato paste and water to it and then yeah he'll feed the nine-year-old and the four-year-old while we're in here talking yeah yeah go ahead yeah oh yeah (laughs) The the video is not going to be like posted. Yeah, right? yeah, it's not a video, so oh, okay. yeah, I mean it is videoing, but he's not. The video won't yeah. post. So yeah, the the video for me is to be able to connect talking because right. talking on the phone to me is one of the worst experiences in the world. Yeah, I I loathe it. Me, but her does. Yeah, I can't stand not a fan of talking on the phone. Oh yeah, I I just hate it, man. I hate talking on the phone. And sometimes I think I ought to, you know, make some phone calls, use my time instead of listening to podcasts or, uh, you know, when I'm driving down the road, there's only two people that I call and that's my wife and my mom. 
and there's nobody else that I call. I've not, I've not made a phone call besides my wife or my mom in years. (laughs) And yeah. And I've hardly received any calls and I call my mom like once a month. And that's if things are, you know, that's when my wife reminds me to do it. And I call my wife ah, once a week, maybe. Yeah. But because it's texting, man, it's all about texting now. And, uh, she'll, uh, I mean, she'll, we'll be in a text conversation and then my wife will call me or she'll call me when I'm driving down the road. So that's like the only times I talk on the phone, but sometimes I'll be scrolling through. I have like hundreds of contacts, but I'm like, uh, and I'm like, who am I going to call? I should, I should call somebody. And I go through a to Z driving down the road. Those mofos, man, I don't, it's like, but, and then like, what am I going to say? You know, Mm -hmm. I'm like, Hey, we haven't talked in seven years. <laughs> how you, yeah. how you been? <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> uh. Oh my gosh. Okay, man. I'll tell you what. Most people, if they've gone through what you went through, they wouldn't start a new ministry. They would like be selling insurance and and uh, they'd be Job's wifing it all over the place. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I I thought about that. Uh, one, I don't have an education to do anything else. <laughs> so right. Like, like it's ministry or bust. Um, right. And uh, those student loans got to get paid. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it just uh, ministries. I know it's what I'm called to, and so I'm right. I'm sticking. But I don't begrudge anybody that walks away. Cause it is, you know, it is not easy at times. Um, and those puppies, man. Yeah. Yeah. Those puppies. Um, I don't know if your audience will be able to hear them, but, uh, my, my wife walked in the room with our dog and I think the puppies can smell our dog. And so we've got five puppies right now for another eight days. Mm-hmm. They're at that, they're at that age to where they are preparing to, um, find other homes we're, we are we are actively finding other homes for them and so um well they're they're cute in there they're cute as buttons man i've seen them on the uh the instagram uh, it because she looks like an ewok yeah she looks like an e and she just walked in um okay. but yeah she's wicked because she looks like an ewok uh and then we're going to name the we have named the one we're keeping remus okay uh, we're harry potter fans okay and so, yeah, so, um, so we're, we're those nerdy people, um, uh, but they're, they're cute puppies and we're, I, I am gonna, I'm going to be heartbroken when they're gone. That's just the reality because I'm a big softy. Yeah. Well, you know, taking care of six dogs is not a, it's not an apartment thing. <laughs> no, it is not. It is not an apartment in the city thing at all. Yeah. Um, my wife is allergic to dogs and I got three sons. So I, I'm sad that they're not going to get to grow up with dogs the way I did, but I grew up right. in, in rural Oklahoma. So right. Having dogs was different. Um, yeah, I, I kind of live out in the boondocks as far as boondocks in Los Angeles can possibly be. Cause I live East of Los Angeles. Now I just moved out to Claremont, California. So it's like this little village at the base of Mount Baldy. And so it's got this beautiful environment, but it's so far, as far as I'm concerned, from the city. Because mm. with traffic, it can take an hour to 90 minutes to get into L.A. Wow. So it's insane. 
anyway, yeah. So you got those cute dogs, and we do have all these cute dogs. The dad, the mama is a uh, Shih Tzu. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not really sure what the fo- well. We got her. She was a street dog, mm-hmm. and um, a friend had found her, uh, and our friend had had her for like two weeks and put out on Facebook and put signs up and everything because she had a collar on. Uh, but nobody ever contacted her. And so we took her after our friend had had her for a couple of weeks. Uh, and we had her for four weeks when we realized, oh, this dog is pregnant. <laughs> and it was four days later when she gave birth. Oh, man. Apparently, the gestation period of a Shih Tzu is only 63 days. Oh, man. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. like those uh, those reality shows of those teenage girls that don't know they're pregnant. It's like Right. What what is that? I I don't know what it is, um, but they're like in the shower, not knowing they're pregnant, and then they go into labor, and that yeah. just that just seems like that. I don't know how that, that works, but that seems like the American education system has failed. That's what yeah. that seems like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because my wife is is blown away by by that because, I mean, she she knows when something's wrong with any part of her body. Like me, I'm like. I think I might've broken something. I'm not right. sure though. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. So I started that new ministry and for the year or so for the, for about six months leading up to the launch of it. Uh, and for the first full year, uh, I worked as an Uber driver. Uh, yeah. So we got that in t- we got that in common. Yeah. That Uber, that Uber life, you know? And so I did that. Carista works for uh, Rice university. Okay. And so she's a big wig over there in rock and rolls at Rice University. But then uh about a year and a half of driving Uber, the priest at the Episcopal church that I used to work at the school, mm-hmm. uh, she contacted me and said, "Hey, we've got some priests who are leaving uh and we just finished composing this strategic ministry plan, this big strategic plan." And being a church planter and having gone back to school and done nonprofit leadership, she was like, why don't you come back to work for us on the church side and, and take charge of Im- implementing this plan? Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was like, that's sweet. That sounds great. Yeah. And so, so instantly, you know, overnight, my income quadruples, quintuples, whatever, I get, I get insurance again, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, but I, you know, I was still ordained with the assemblies of God and I, uh, let the, the people in my district know, I said, Hey, I've got this offer. If there's no problems, I'm going to take it. And, and of course, and of course there was no problems. Hey, great. Good for you. Praise the Lord. God provided. So that was February of last year. Okay. Uh, 2018. Wow. Uh, I took that job. So I've been literally, as we're recording this today, it's been one year. Yeah. It's been one year this week that I've been at St. Stephen's. They're just, just some of the best people I have ever been around in my life. Just some of the most caring, loving, supportive people. Uh, You see the fruit of the spirit in those people all the time in the way they love and have patience the way they are kind and generous and gentle. I mean, just really outstanding people. 
and uh, I'm really blessed to be there. And so I started there a year ago, and then at the very end of May last year, I got an email from an older minister in our district. Mm-hmm. Wasn't you know not a pastor, but a guy who travels and preaches. Right. And he was not happy that I was working for the Episcopal Church. He had spent hours. I, I'm not exaggerating, Eric, when I say if he if he spent less than a hundred hours, I would be surprised. Going back through listening to sermons that I had preached going back six years, sermons that the priests at the Episcopal Church had been preaching, digging through the website, pulling up documents, making a case against me. And his position was, I was lying to somebody. I was either lying to the AG and I didn't believe what the AG believed concerning, and his accusations included that I didn't believe that Christ was the only way of salvation. I mean, he was challenging my orthodoxy. Right. That Christ is the only way to salvation, but that he also was saying that I was saying the, I was telling the AG that I believed one thing about uh, gender, about gender theology, GLBT issues and theology that I was saying, I believed one thing to the AG, but that I really believed something else hmm. or vice versa. Right. That I was lying to the Episcopal church because they would never let me work there. Right. In his opinion, in his mind, they would never let me work there if they knew what I really believed or what I say I really believe. So he sent me this email and wanted to get together with me to ask me to answer his questions to his face before he went to the denomination. And he was going to the denomination no matter what. Right. He'd already met, he'd already asked for an appointment. And so he just wanted to give me a chance to give my, give him my side of the story, which I did not owe him. No. And as a matter of fact, when his emails started coming, I contacted my district leadership and asked them, what do they think I should do? And they said, you do not owe him anything. Do not meet with him. Right. And so I didn't. So he got an appointment to meet with the district leadership. And I was told I didn't need to attend that meeting because it was, it was a nothing burger. Right. It was not going anywhere. They had already talked about it and knew, you know, and had satisfactory answers from me and that they didn't like the fact that he thought that he could police random ministers in the district. Right. So he went to this meeting and he presented his evidence, which I was never allowed to see. And then when that meeting was done, I was asked to come to a meeting where I spent two and a half hours responding to some of the things that he said. And I was told, we're satisfied with what you had to say. Mm-hmm. And, and everything's fine. But we feel like this gentleman will try to do an end run to uh, the national AG office. And so we're going to try to cut him off at the pass. So we're going to go ahead and send this up the food chain 
so that we can get this so we can get support nationally okay so they did uh that was in june they sent it up at the end of august first week of first week of september uh i heard back that to the ag it was a big deal that they could not reconcile even though i was not working in a clergy role I was working in an, I I still work in an administrative leadership role. Right. Even though I wasn't working in a clergy role, I was working at a church whose theology was different enough from the AG that the national leadership could not reconcile the idea that one of their ministers would work there. Hmm. So I had the choice I could either quit my job and keep my credentials or I could keep my job and forfeit my ordination. (laughs) And that was the decision because if I said, well, I'm not going to do either, uh, I was informed that they would then kick me out. They would put me in discipline. And if, and if I didn't submit to the discipline, I would be kicked out and then, and ultimately the submission to the discipline would be where you must quit your job. And I was unwilling to quit my job. God gave me that job. I've done great things in that job. I love that job. I love those people. My, my church that I still go to that my wife still pastors, they have, they, they rejoice. They, I mean, they celebrated when I got that job, God provided that job. I mean, I'm, it's, it's what I said earlier, uniform, unity without uniformity, you know? Yeah. And so ultimately, like I had four days from when they said, no, we got a problem to, okay, what's your decision? Wow. At 38 years old, AG every moment of my life. That's what it ultimately came down to. Yeah. And so I, um, I had a conversation with my wife and it was, we were in complete unity. And I, I sent in a letter of resignation for my ordination and stayed with my job with the Episcopal church and resigned as an ordained minister with the assemblies of God. And that sucked. Yeah, man. Death of identity is freaking hard. It's just freaking hard. And it's really Nothing anybody can can say. It's a journey that, you know, you, your therapist and your wife have to yeah. walk through, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and it's not something that this specific thing is not something that everyone's going to be, be able to identify with. I can. But the fact that things happen that cause a death to our identity is a part of life. And a lot of people have difficulty with that, difficulty handling it and don't recognize that that's really where their depression or their, their sadness or their anger, all of these things that are happening in their life that they don't understand is coming from this death of identity. And I think hearing you successfully navigate this, at least appearing to successfully navigate this uh, is going to be a, a small beacon of hope for somebody who might be listening and going, I, I didn't know that this is what I was experiencing, but this is exactly what I'm experiencing right now. Well, so. you know, the, the day I was, uh, the day it happened, the day I had to, 
resigned. I don't know that I was even praying as much as I was just, I was driving and I was being quiet and I was sitting with my, the emotions of all of it. And I, and I got this word um, into my, and I, I would say in, into my spirit, but came into my mind. Uh, and it was the word untethered. That has been my word now for six months. Yeah. Untethered. That I have been untethered from a huge piece of who I was. Yeah. But I have also now been untethered from anchors that held me in a place that in reality I was not fitting anymore. Well, that was part number three. Tune in next week for part number four, and we will conclude this conversation with Ryan. Hey, guys, remember, love God, love people. Don't be an asshole. All right.